We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're going to be looking at the seventh episode of the tenth series of Doctor Who, The Pyramid at the End of the World. But first, Ben, welcome back. Thank you. You weren't here last week because I think you were getting ready and prepped for going out at uh, Phoenix Comic Con, or as the rest of the world now knows it, uh, Rambo attempts to kill the Green Ranger Con. Uh, uh, actually, it was Punisher. Was it Punisher? Yeah. Punisher Rambo. It's, it's all sort of crazy people with guns. Um, uh, you and Keith were there doing podcasts and stuff, were you not? Yes, we were. You want to give a plug to that for our listeners who want to hear what was going on? Well, we you can find us at tggeeks.com. We released one episode on our website. I, no, I take that back. You re- we released one regular episode that you can get off iTunes, our website, or YouTube. But we did a whole series of updates that you can get from uh, through our website and social media. So, again, that's tggeeks.com, and uh, we're also tggeeks on Facebook. Did you get to interview Dick Van Dyke? No, no one was allowed to interview Dick Van Dyke. Oh, man. Nobody. His agent um, forbids anybody from talking to him. <laughs> he might say something. Well, it's it, it, it goes weirder than that. Uh, when people go up to have uh, in, uh, autographs, um, they could not ask him to give a personalized autograph. Hmm. They were not allowed. And that's because of the agent. Interesting. Yeah, so... Uh. Well, yes. Uh, hey, he made it there alive. Uh, yeah, uh, is he and, like a hundred. Uh, he's ninety-one, but if you watched him, you wouldn't know it. Oh, cool. All right. Well, let's get our attention turned to Doctor Who. Bill's date is interrupted in the real world by the UN Secretary General. A five thousand year old pyramid has arrived in a tense military zone, and they need the President of the World, the Doctor. Military action against this pyramid completely fails. They find that the pyramid is run by the monks, and they set all of the clocks everywhere in the world to the doomsday clock. And they say, yeah, we'll come back, you come back and we'll talk about this later. As the clocks tick down, they say the end of the world is inevitable unless mankind asks for their help with love in their hearts? The UN Secretary General consents, but they sense it is from fear, and he dies. When the militaries of the three greatest powers of the world agree they will not fight, and the clock doesn't stop, the doctor realizes that the whole thing about the military is a misdirection. And while the military loses faith in the doctor solving their problem, they decide to go surrender, with a plan of fighting another day. That, too, however, is not love. And they die. The doctor tricks the monks into revealing the threat to the world, which is a looming biochemical disaster. And he stops it. But he will die, because he is blind. He reveals this to Bill, and she surrenders the earth to get the doctor's eyesight back. In the nick of time, he survives, and the world is safe from the biochemical disaster. But at what price? Um, so, um, what did you think of 
this episode. Uh, I, I guess I should ask, uh, what did you think about uh, briefly was last week's extremists uh, or extremists? Extremi- extremists, whatever. Extremists. Extremists. <laughs> Uh, was that a, a another? Uh, was that six for six for you? Or it, it was, but it was a rather puzzling six for six. Ah, okay. It, so it was, it was seven for seven. Uh, no, no. But mm. we are. I, I'm. I, I can't say that I liked it, but I can say that I didn't like it because I. I mean, I watched it. I saw it just two hours ago, and I don't know if I like it or not. Interesting. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, in all honesty, uh, I don't know, you probably haven't had time to listen to the podcast for last Mm -hmm. week either. Um, I put this at about, you know, if if you were rating it on a scale of 0 through 10 and 5.1 was approval and 5.0 was not, then this was 5.0001 last week's. I mean, it was so close to on the line because of all the stuff that was just bugging me about the stupid random number generator simulation thing that was just throwing me off going, well, this doesn't work. This can't work. This simulation can't work. And, but still I enjoyed the episode. And so, you know, it was, it was very, very teeter tottery for me, but this one basically took everything that I hated about the last one and proved to me that I was right in hating it. And so it basically knocked last week's down to a no mm. for me. And it's very possible that when – because, th- I mean, this is act two of a three-act story. Yep. And it is very, very possible that when we get the third act that I might very well love the whole thing. I mean really love it or very or very much hate it. Everything hinges on next week's episode. So it- that's why I really can't say one way or the other. Um, I am dismayed at the fact that I – did not love it, but I didn't hate it. I just, I'm just completely 100% neutral. They are going to have to pull something in the third episode that makes everything that I thought was a horrible inconsistency actually be part of the doctor's master solution to solve the problem. They might be able to do it. I don't know. They're not. I I don't think they're going to do that. I, I already know they're not. Because uh, Stephen Moffat already blurted out that the doctor lost. Well, we know the doctor lost. No, no. He means to say that when we – I mean we, we get that sense. But uh, he already came out in a statement saying – unless you know, Stephen Moffat always lies. But he did come out Moffitt and say lies. that um, the doctor will not win this, that the monks won. Mm, which yeah. which is, is I, a real – I heard Moffat's comment on that and that, that to me sounds like typical Moffat. Hyperbole. The doctor's True. in a place where he's never been, and he can't win this. And da, 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 da. it's like, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't buy that. But yeah, we've heard that here's, too. Here's the thing: this is three separate stories written by three different authors. Yeah. And what this reminds me of, and I, and I, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these, uh, or maybe you've participated in one of these, but I have seen where uh, a group of people, maybe a class or something, they are given an assignment. And person one says, you, you write chapter one. Whatever you want. Start it off. Write chapter one. When you're done, hand it to person two. Person two will write, take whatever you've written, go on and write chapter two. And on through the thing until they come to the end of the story. Now, you know, uh, supposedly you could get um, 
possibly some sort of wild synthesis of amazing collaborative power there, but more likely what you're going to get is hugely disparate styles and uh, plots that amble meaninglessly in different directions. And, and you can even get... I've seen these where people actually write against the previous authors intentionally. So you get a like a... A situation where somebody writes a chapter one and it's uh, some, you know, space adventure about some guy and his sidekick Bob and they're doing something. And then the next author comes along and goes, you know something, this doesn't have enough female empowerment in it. And so suddenly she writes in this third uh, incredibly strong female character who, like, basically pushes the first two out of the way and you start following them in. And then the third author comes along and looks at that and kills the woman off. And I've seen this. I've seen people do this in this it, because – there's no meaningful coordination and just fighting it. And that's what this felt like to me. This felt like the, the second person thought, you know, I, I don't quite like the way that worked, but I'm going to make some changes here. And also, you know, maybe I didn't even read it completely before I wrote my story. Uh, so, yeah, I'll have to see part. I'll have to see part three. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, cast my opinion on this one just yet because it's an incomplete story. Yeah, exactly. But but I feel like, you know, I already gave my opinion on the last one and it definitely knocked it down a couple of pegs in in my estimation, which is not a good sign. So, um <sighs> that that's deeply troubling um to me about this one because I thought we were going to have a grand slam for Capaldi's final season, but um I'm I have my doubts. Yeah, so do I at this point. So I, well, it, I, I also want to add that uh, we're, we got something that's carrying over from um, Chasm Forge, and that's the whole blindness thing. Mm -hmm. And clearly, that was the the path that Moffat likes to take, where the Doctor now has baggage, right? And that's always that that always spells you know the ruin of whatever series of Doctor Who we're looking at that's under him. The moment he adds some kind of baggage, physical, emotional, doesn't matter what it is. The moment that comes into play, the show, the stories start to suffer because they are now um, – they have to take a back seat to the fact that the doctor has this problem. And now this is all tying into you know, the whole doom and gloom of the planet Earth. So uh, yeah, the, I've – I, I, like I said, I've, I've got. I, I don't love. I don't love this one, and part of that is because of where we're taking the doctor now. Hmm. <clears throat> well, let me let me just for for your benefit and probably to the moans and groans of of the listeners, give you just like my my key problems that were bugging me about the last time and why they're worse now. Um, it was unclear, and and you know it. it at some length in discussion with Simon, we were both admitted it was unclear how long the simulation had been running. Yes. Based on extremists. And it was also unclear as to whether or not the simulation was everything or whether it was just those rooms through the, through the portals. And Simon makes a good argument that it gives every appearance to be just those rooms. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the dialogue in the episode makes it clear that it is not just those rooms. It is 
It is everything. And so, you know, willing to give a little room, wiggle room, and then say, well, maybe that's just hyperbole, and it really is just those rooms. And then, you know, the other question is, if you're, you know, how far back did you simulate it? Uh, the fact that there is the, the Veritas document in that universe and that someone could write it and and then kill themselves over it 2,000 years ago, which would not happen in the real universe, therefore it is not an accurate simulation of the world, period, uh-huh. end of discussion, yeah. whether or not that's part of the background story or whether that's part of the simulation that actually ran for the last 2,000 years, and the fact that their random number generator is so bad, so incredibly, appallingly bad, that this simulation could not hope to simulate. You know, even if even if we make the argument that all, you know, that humans have no actual free will, that fate is predetermined based on physics, if you will, which I don't that, believe. You know, if not if, not if, not in that simulation, because if that were the case, then the Veritas document could not have been written. That that is true, and but also, you know, it. Well, so your brain is electrons, right? They fire. There is a theory. There's a hypothesis that says that if we could accurately model your brain, then would you have free will because we could tell you what you were going to think because we know how the the electrons and neutrons fire, uh, and so, you know, is the universe actually controlled by the laws of physics? All right. Maybe, maybe not. When oh, we that's that, that's very philosophical. Um, yeah, I know, but but you know, let's if if it is true, then arguably the monks could make a simulation. But I know that right now, you and I, if I said pick a number when I smack the table, we would not pick the same number. And yet, we know in the simulation they would. Therefore, the simulation is invalid. Period. Mm-hmm. End of discussion. It can't possibly work. And here's yes. another one: Donald Trump wasn't in the White House. That is true. He was in the White House in this episode. That's yes, he was. So yeah, there's a inco- very big inconsistency. Simulation didn't work, and if and in this episode, the doctor repeatedly says they've simulated since you crawled up out of the muck. Yeah, they've been running this simulation since dawn time. Well, let, here's another thing that they had to simulate then. If they've simulated Earth up to 2017, that means they also simulated the Doctor being trapped in Earth in the 1970s and unit and all of that stuff. And all the Doctors and all the trips they've taken into space, everywhere in time and space, Uh including trips to Gallifrey, had to have been simulated for the Doctor to enter back into the Earth simulation and do whatever it is the Doctor would do. Uh And so... By demonstrating that their simulation cannot do that, you know, that that was bugging me before. Now we come into this episode, A, we see Trump's, you know, they mention that Trump is president, basically. Or they say he's orange, but the guy who was in the White House was not orange. And, And this whole thing is predicated on a woman's glasses breaking in a freak accident. Right. Another guy being drunk. It's so bad. It's it really is as if the second writer was not actually allowed to read the script of the first one. Yeah, I've never been a fan. I mean, although I the the moment it happened, I immediately recognized it for what it was. Sure, I mean, and, they drew it right to you with the glasses breaking in the I slow mean, it was and, so obvious, you know, that this is oh, this is the beginning of those chain of events kinds of things that's going to lead you. You know, I'm surprised we didn't hear fixed point. 
you know, if, uh, in, in you know, a fixed event in time and space. I'm, I'm really shocked we didn't have any of that. But the moment we saw that, I knew, oh, we're down one of these now. Okay, because these two seemingly random elements just happened, we're now on a fixed course. Yeah, I hate that. That is okay. such a lousy gimmick. So let me ask you this question. So they picked the point where they knew that Earth was about to be destroyed because they had simulated all of time and space and the entirety of all reality to come to that point so they'd know that event would occur and they knew how the military would react. Did they know that the doctor was going to find the problem? Did they know that the doctor was going to initiate the solution that caused their clock to go backwards because they sure looked like they were in a panic, like they didn't expect that happening. Mm -hmm. And did they know that that the doctor being blind and that that lab having the single stupidest, most illogical combination lock ever made by mankind. Yeah, that is pretty lame. Was going to lead Bill to surrender the earth to them. So in other words, was there end game to have Bill surrender because the doctor was blind because somebody decided that they had to spend extra money to make an extra special combination lock, not like every other combination lock in the world. I mean, oh, oh I can tell you what the end game was. The end game was that the writer was an idiot and had to write something that would satisfy Moffat. That's the end game. I mean, don't try to, do not try to rationalize this in the Doctor Who universe. It cannot be done because it was just, yeah, that was such a poorly written um, bit. If they and, had not done last week. They had not done last week's episode. This one might have been better. I would have, I would have been able to accept a lot of these things, and then I would have been asking myself the question, did the doctor beat their simulation? And I would have felt like he did when their clock started running backward and they all started going, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute, why is the clock going backwards? I would have realized the doctor outsmarted their simulation, and it would have been a, a triumph for him, even though he ultimately lost because of Bill. But, but now, considering how poorly they thought it out and, and how we know it couldn't possibly have worked, I don't know. I, you know, I, I feel like it was just so poorly executed that it, it was very, very disappointing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And come on, really? I, I get that there are such things as those twirly luggage locks, but doesn't that seem like you've never seen that before, ever, on a door lock ever anywhere because they always just get the prop for a keypad and stick it up there which of course the doctor could have worked out the numbers on even by position right i mean it's like oh it's it's either going to be one two three four or it's going to be seven eight nine you know four five six etc he could have he could have worked it out they had to actually make a special combination law that was not only blind person proof but sonic device proof yeah because it didn't even have any indentations i mean when when your plot relies on them having to make a special prop for a common object you get a problem Mm -hmm. with your solution um or with your your macguffin or (sighs) that part really Mm -hmm. chafed my okay um I don't want to go into huge, huge discussion of the determinacy factor because, A, Simon and I spent a long time on that. And, and B, I think after the third episode airs, uh, Simon and I might do a sidecar just reassessing what we thought about the, the simulation in the universe. So we'll, we'll spare, spare everyone that unless you have any specific, specific thoughts on it. Uh, no, except that it's, it's – 
It, it's it's one of these things that I just really hate. I I I, I oppose the whole notion of predetermination. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, we could we could argue the philosophies on that till hell freezes over, and there there is absolutely nothing that can convince me that predetermination is the ruling uh, guide in the universe. <clears throat> yeah, I mean. You know, we 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 can predetermine the path of the planets because they follow. Logical. Well, that's Newtonian. That's, that's right. That's all Newtonian, Newtonian physics. physics. Yeah. And then at a quantum level, is it truly random? I, I don't know. Well, but, well but physicists, our brains, our brains don't operate at a quantum level. They no. operate at a Newtonian level. So, I I I I don't have an opinion one way or the other. I think it could be tested. And I think it could be proven, but I don't know that it can be disproved. You know, I mean, we either can't prove it, which is not the same as disproving it, or we can prove it by creating a simulation of a human that is so perfect that it always recreates. But it's a long, 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 long way off for us ever to achieve that. And, you know, and then it, what the implications philosophically are of that in a universe where you could do that i don't know and why do these people want the planet earth if they can simulate the whole flipping universe and they can make time lords see again and capture planes why do they have to, uh, why do they need the planet well the doctor asked that question planet? yeah and the doc- he's continuing asking that question it seems like to me they're just looking for i mean it's i get that they're looking for devotion invested a lot of time well they're looking for devotion Okay. That that that's, that's what's one big thing, and maybe this just maybe it, as far as the you know as far as the MacGuffin goes for this for this particular story, Earth is ripe to make that choice. Okay, let's go. Well, they've invested a lot of time in it, um, so um, let's I'm, go. I, there. I didn't say it was a good idea. I'm just I'm just throwing it out, but I didn't think it's a good one. You you use the word devotion, and I think that's right. I mean, you would not be if if you've made this connection. You certainly are not the only person who's made the connection. Um, this is this is throwing some serious shade at religion in this episode. These godlike creatures demand your devotion, your love. We need your love. I mean, this is this is pretty well. It uh, it hinge. It almost comes back to. The the gods of ancient mythology, you know, the Greek and, and Roman gods, you know, how they 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 thrived on the love and worship of of humans. Not, they not needed it, the, not just the ancient, uh, but you know what I'm. Yeah, this is this, these. They have the powers to solve this. They could fix this problem. They don't need us to do anything for them to fix this problem they could do it they didn't they didn't need a consent to fly an airplane or trade places or put a pyramid down or anything like that so they have oodles of power and yet this is what it hinges on we need your love and devotion i i i feel like the author is trying to say something and what i'm worried about is that the next author we're not going to get that answer we're not going to get an answer to this. It's it's going to be, you know, okay, you're writing this story, and they've won because of love and devotion was given to them freely, and now everyone – and so write a story. And um, – fine. Okay. Why do they think the pyramid is 5,000 years old? Uh, uh, that's a really good question. Uh 
there was no carbon testing that I could tell that had been done uh, unless they have some kind of uh, electro you know, magnetic – I don't know. Unless the military or the governments have some kind of equipment that allows them to test the age of structures from a visual distance, well, okay. how, how, how can so, they do it? Well, even if they didn't do it from a distance, I mean, it was there yesterday. So they went and let's say that they went and collected a sample of the rock it was made from. If you carbon date rock, which a you really can't, you really can't carbon date rock. rock. No, it's like, but let's pretend like you could. It would be rock. It would be as old as the rock is, not. As old as the construction. True. <laughs> so maybe unless that rock has been there, I know it's 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 lame. It it really is it because that looks like a five thousand year old Egyptian pyramid, and therefore that must be that must be another five thousand. I don't know, but they kept saying it. They kept saying it's a five thousand year old pyramid appeared here. It's like, well, isn't it weird enough that a pyramid appeared there? Why does it have to? What is is it? Is there a significance there? Is this? Uh, are we going to have something that's going to pick up with a 5,000-year-in-the-past mark because well, of this? Well, what worries me is if they're going to get really uber-Judeo-Christian and go for the whole thing about the Earth is only 6,000 years old kind of kind of rubbish. Which, of course, we know that the Doctor has – I mean, in, in the Doctor Who universe, let's just – let's say for the sake of – Anyone who might think the Earth is only a few thousand years old, in the Doctor Who universe, the Earth is decidedly proven to be older than that. The Silurians prove that, if nothing else. The fact that the Doctor's been there, uh, you know, the Jagaroth, uh, you know, and, and the, uh, the spider, the arachnids, arachnos, and whatnot. The Doctor's been there. We know it's not. And yet, you're right. I, I, there, there felt like there was something, something happening there. And uh, and speaking of the Judeo-Christian, they're monks. They're wearing the trappings of religion. Yeah, yeah, they they're, are. Um, and we chose this appearance to show you because to you, to us, you're just a bunch of corpses walking around. Weird, weird justification for them looking like the master from Deadly Assassin. You know? Um, it, it just, yeah. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> it's like... Walk away from this, Um We've talked about the, you know, what is this? I mean, they make a big deal about the we must be loved, and the doctor keeps asking why, 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 and we only get little clinks like the link. It's the only way the link can be formed. What's the link? We don't, well, we don't know that one so, either. I mean, that, that one they're going to reveal to us. I'm pretty sure that one they're going to reveal to us in some way, shape, or form because that's the question that they keep asking, and and they keep intentionally circumventing it. So I think that's going to be that, you know, ching. Oh, I get it. Now it's not going to, it's not going to work. Right. But that'll be, that'll be up on the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, let's see. I think we've got um, one nitpick. I've got my notes are not in the right order. So, uh, one of the things that bugged me was when they looked at all the scenes of the dead earth, there was an awful lot of pictures of plants blowing in the wind. Yeah. It's like everything's gone. All life is dead. It's like except for those trees. Uh, never mind. Um, <laughs> bad choice of pictures, people. Bad uh, choice. Well, I, I, it's it goes right along with what I expected out of this episode uh, in terms of consistency. There's also, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I mean that's just stock footage, and they just they could have picked the stuff where there was just 
wrecked cities and stuff, and that would have been fun. Yeah, that would have, have sufficed. Picked some hurricane footage, and that was the thing. I, to, to go back to the religion thing, um, even there, there is the military loses faith in the doctor, right? They go like, you know something, you're not going to solve this problem. Yeah. There's a question of faith. The doctor shows up in the lab. She goes, oh, God. And the doctor goes, no, no, no. no. Just the doctor. It's, I'm just the doctor, but it's easy to confuse. It's the eyebrows. There's definitely a, there's definitely a, a, a savior thing going on here. I, I'm not sure where they were leading with it, but, you know, there's, there's the monks and there's the doctor. Hmm. One I, religion replacing another? I didn't get uh, that. I, I, I don't know. I, I I really don't know. I it just there was just so many little things that popped in there that made me think of religion, like the metaphors of religion and and stuff. It's like it, it's not overt and not, well, some of it's overt, but um, it just didn't quite. Um, I don't know. I, I I really have a bad feeling about next week not paying off on all of that. I think we'll get I'll get the we'll get the simple answer about love being some sort of psychic bonding link that allows them to take over the minds of all human beings or something stupid like that. Right. And then, and we won't get any more of the, the religious stuff because that was probably thrown in by this particular writer who just thought that was a good thing. I, I don't know. Anyway, um, Nardole might be dead. He might be. It's, he, uh, he's got cheap lungs. We know he's that. Got cheap. I'm guessing cheap human lungs. Yeah. <clears throat> Which makes him at least partially biomechanical? Uh, sort of. Does that make him... Does explain why he needed the spacesuit in, in oxygen. Yeah, because he needed the air. Um, uh, doesn't explain the nut bolt falling out of his mechanical arm. Well, because that part's mechanical. Yeah. So he's a little bit of a hodgepodge this and that. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's almost Cyberman. Dum, 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 dum. Nah, they won't have any Cybermen in this series, I'm pretty sure. Oh, God, no. Why would they do that? Okay. Speaking of the... <laughs> okay. Not speaking of the combination lock, but but just for the sake of argument, let's say that the same guy who designed that combination lock was also the guy who designed a system that automatically vents biohazard material outside of a biohazard lab every 20 minutes. You mean an idiot. No matter what. An idiot. Uh-huh. And and that was another one about this story. Yeah, that Keith, Keith had a problem with that one, too. It's like, wait a minute. So the only way that this works, the only way this story works is that the ventilation system is stupider than snot because it's going to vent the stuff you're keeping in on lockdown – biohazard lockdown and it's going to vent it which and then and it only works because the doctor is only in peril because they've got the dumbest combination lock built ever in this facility it's like that is really you would would, it is it's very poor writing it's insulting to have i mean that's your locking system on a door of that kind of nature no, I mean everything. I'm everything sure that's else not felt ADA compliant. Either. Oh God, no! Everything, everything there looked very, you know, pretty much up to date in terms of technology. But no, you're going to have uh, what looks like some sort of bizarre tumbler lock combo dial thing, which felt very antiquated next to everything else in that lab. Yeah, it was. 
All right, let's see here. Oh, oh my, oh my. Okay. Peter Harness wrote this. I know that name. You do. But I can't he place wrote, it. He wrote the Zygon Invasion, Zygon Inversion. Okay. I Which was split on. Yeah. But, and I think you, you and I are definitely, I think, split on this one. He wrote Kill the Moon. Oh, dear. And, you know, I, I will not forget the concept here that Kill the Moon was the episode that was beaten with a stupid science stick. Um, this episode was beaten with a stupid lab design stick. Yeah. Um, so here's a writer who doesn't really give too many craps about having any plausible explanation for, the moon is a big egg, why not? Well, I can, let me count the ways. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, okay, Mr. Harness, um, yeah. Oh, I knew I knew that name, and I had not gone back and looked because I was afraid. I didn't I have was time. Thinking he was in the forest of the night, but that's the other guy that that did okay. I didn't have time uh, to look up the man's resume. Yeah. Um. So the last thing I have is Bill's final line. Tell you what, old man, you better get my planet back. So the generals were killed. Mm-hmm. Because they, they're they're uh, they were relinquishing. Yeah, it was all um, it, it it was impure. Tactical. It was tactical. It was therefore not pure love, and they were killed because they had in their mind the idea that they were going to get their planet back. Bill, on the other hand, submits and is taken in to the link because of love but it's not love it's not for love monks. nope no it's it isn't love for the for doctor the doctor which is really which, not not too terribly different than the you know the secretary of the UN or the the three generals because yes you could make the argument that it was you know all done out of strategy but underneath that it's love for the earth it's love for the life on the earth so they had love too but it's just not for the monks. But then neither was Bill's. Neither so was she Bill. should have died at the touch of the monks right there. When you, so, yeah, there's okay, a so fallacy. If, if, if their love is the thing and if we're using the metaphor again uh, that this is some sort of religious thing, her faith in the doctor is stronger because her line can't be strategic. Her final line is like uh, she can't be giving it over strategically planning for the doctor to get it back. She's giving it over out of love, not for the monks, for the doctors, which seems like that wouldn't work for them, but okay. And, well, okay, I, okay, and I can she go has that. faith that he's going to beat them anyway. Yeah, I can, so, I can go for that. I can go for that. How uh, she, her motivation uh, at the very beginning did appear to be that she just wanted to save him. I mean, that, yes. that looked pretty clear. And then maybe – this this line that she tosses out afterwards is simply an afterthought. Yeah, I. <clears throat> I but don't know. it still I, is puzzling because I was under the impression that it had to be love and devotion for the monks. Well, that's what they said, basically. That's how I understood it. That's what I said it or, or interpreted it as, and and you know, uh, so couldn't they have found some person somewhere in the world who's I mean, with their simulation, uh, <laughs> whose whose baby was gonna die? Uh, I seem to recall this in Star Trek uh, Into Darkness. Um, you know, you just have to find the right person who has the right crisis 
and say, uh, you know, we can save their life if you just turn over the earth to us because you love them, which is what basically Bill did. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you know, you represent the doctor. Did the doctor deputize you? No, I don't think he did. The doctor was not not there. The doctor had not relinquished authority. She did not have authority to turn over the earth to anybody. Well, then neither do the generals, though. I mean, under, well, I, would, uh, under, I would kind of agree. Neither does the secretary general because there was he. no actual. The the only person on the planet who had the authority to turn over the planet was, was the doctor because he's because they saved President right up the front during times of crisis. The doctor is the duly appointed president of the planet. So, which which that, um, could be the simulation up to the point where Bill turns it over. In other words, if the simulation were accurate, what they needed to do was they needed to get everybody out of the way who did not actually have the power but thought they did and leave it only to the doctor and uh. to his weakness, the companion, in which case then the simulation actually had to run all the way to the point where she turns it over, in which case the doctor is lost at every turn, including being outguessed by them um, at, at, that, at that stage. I mean, I, I can make a case for it. You feel like he's winning when he's turning the clock back. But but when you think about what they're trying to achieve, it, it had to either be the doctor or or Bill on the planet. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, why did the U.N. have to uh, go to Bill first? Didn't they know where the doctor was? They should be general. It was yeah. just to mess up her date. Yeah, it was just to get her and mess up. The, I mean, which, again, is... I mean, it, it was a, it was to mess up the date. It was also supposed to, I think, maybe serve as a literary callback to the simulation from last week, where the Pope or the Pope's men, you know, the cardinals, come, you know, busting into mm-hmm. her, uh, in, into their flat. So it, that's all it was. It was, it was a callback. It was a gimmick. It, mm-hmm. it was not organic or germane to the story at all. It, it was just there to, uh, for, for the sake of whimsy and. If the overall tone of this episode had been different, I could have seen that working. But the way this this way this whole thing has been is being uh, crafted, it makes that scene uh, it 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 causes for that scene to take away from the whole. You used the word crafted. That's very generous of you. Um. <laughs> it just came to me. I'm sorry. Vomited. Got kind of. Chucked out with random dye. Real random dye, not just quantumly simulated random <laughs> dye. <laughs> All right. I don't have anything else. I don't either. So uh, I think, I mean, you know, with this story not being done. That's the problem. I mean, that really is the big problem because we have an incomplete story. Um, and, and again, I, I have to clarify that, yeah, I did a lot of picking in our conversation on this. But I don't, and, and the, there were elements that I really intensely disliked. A lot of elements that I intensely disliked. But the episode as a whole, I'm still just really on the fence with. And, and I need the final episode in order to help me come to some kind of conclusion. I need to see the story as a whole because, and, and I just saw this uh, in an interview um, when I was at Comic Con that a lot of people make their decision on whether a movie is good or not based on the last 10 minutes of a, of a, of a film because that's what they're going to remember when they walk out. If the last 10 minutes were just really rocking, 
then odds are they're going to like the whole movie. If the last 10 minutes are crap, then they're going to generally they're going to hate it. And I mean that I'm not to say I'm not saying that's an absolute because it isn't. But the parallel is there. I mean, you're giving me a multi-part episode. I'm I mean, especially with what you gave me in part 1, uh it forces me to take a look at part 2 and say Wow, um, you know, there's a lot of questionable material here. I can't say that I like it. I can't say that I hate it. But I have a sneaky suspicion that by the time this whole thing is over, I'm going to be on the hate side. I, I can't help wondering what it's like to live with a brain that inadequate that that's how people judge movies. But I believe it to be true because I'm a cynical person. Um, I, I, and I, you know, obviously the last 10 minutes of a movie can ruin a movie. Oh yeah, that too. Um, I I cannot imagine sitting through a you know an hour or a hundred and ten minutes of an awful movie, and then the last ten minutes make me go, Whoa, loved it. But I I can definitely remember films that the last ten minutes ruined it for me. Absolutely ruined it for me. Well, I I could make the argument either way. I'm 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 not gonna bother because that's a personal thing. Uh, I mean that that's up to the individual and their own particular values and the way they analyze and look at films. So I'm not. I mean I, I can just state what I've heard. Yeah. No. I I I, I believe that it's probably true. Um, I believe that it's probably true. Um, but you know they they should find a way to get people to go out and spend the first hundred and ten minutes at the popcorn bar. They're spending money then. If you know, I mean. This you you wonder, and I'm only being half facetious here, because like I say, I could believe it to be true, but then you'd think the science of movies would be different, the marketing of movies would be different, the you know the movies wouldn't be getting longer, they'd be getting shorter, um, you know all sorts of well that's things. why well that's why short films are making a comeback. You know this this is I mean short films from if nothing else. Theaters can show more films during the course of a day in short films, and therefore they get more opportunities to show films. This is this is a thing that that has actually been an issue with movie theater yes. owners. Uh, you know, when your films are pushing an hour and twenty minutes, I think I think we had a Bond film that was pushing at, at two hours and twenty minutes at one point, and even I uh, was having trouble sitting through that. And I can you know butt in chair watch James Bond film on opening day usually and not get the squirms but even I was like oh, God, I can't believe this film is just still going on <clears throat> so um, uh, so yes if, if short films truly are making a comeback wow what an awesome day that would be um, actually I think what's happening is shorter films are coming back and they're going to split them up into two parts and market them to you twice right and it's like well I can tell the story in three hours um, or I can be Peter Jackson. I can tell you the story in seventeen, or <laughs> but you know what I mean. Mm. So uh, there is a there is a there's a an issue with the amount of time you have to tell a story. I mean, even watching these episodes of Doctor Who, fifty minutes is can require some rushing along. You know, you get to the end of the episode and they've got to solve it because they've spent a lot of time building into it. So I, I get that. That's why a, a, a miniseries, and if you want to take a look at, let's look at Lord of the Ring, not The Hobbit, that, you know, the, the material perhaps warrants a much longer runtime. Or, uh, or 
a, a miniseries. Roots. Let's go back to all the way back to there. It's like the material warrants the time. Um, and if you start trying to cut it down, you're making some choices that are bad. And I can see how filmmakers might want to squeak a little extra time. But, you know, it's, it's going to be a balance between the economics of the, of the business and the storyteller's desire to tell a story and what he wants to tell. And, um, <sighs> yeah, let's face it. Movies is not exactly movies and TV are not exactly the, uh, uh, last bastion of literature and storytelling. No argument there. <laughs> anyway. All right, Ben, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Listeners. I do hope you'll join us all again next time on fusion patrol. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle, at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf.